0: Welcome back everyone to the creative block podcast, uh, delighted to be joined by Phil Sayers, founder of protein sales development. Um, and today we're going to be talking, um, all about how, uh, creative people can, um, put forward their best, uh, value proposition, how they can best present themselves, uh, to whoever, to clients, uh, or, or to, uh, potential employers, who knows. Um, Phil, delighted uh, that you can join us today. Uh, Thank you for taking the time out of your day. I know you're Uh, you're really busy, as most people seem to be at the moment. Yeah, it's a nice problem to have now. I'm delighted to be here, Callum. Thanks for inviting me. Great. Um, So first of all, I think a a good place to start is just to tell us uh, a bit about yourself and a bit about uh, the services that you provide.
1: Yeah, of course. So well, I, you could probably tell from, from the, the amount of grey hair I have now, I've had sort of 35 plus years in, in a career in sales, sales management and general management. And over the course of that, as you can imagine, I've seen and I've made plenty of mistakes. Um, but I've also sort of received huge amounts of training and equally trained hundreds of salespeople over the years. Nowadays, I, I work with small businesses, including you know, service related businesses primarily helping them to sell more and to, and to sell more often. And I do that through a, a, a number of routes. The, the most common one is I run a, a variety of different training or sales training programs, whether that's, you know, on a one-to-one basis, or I do open sales skills workshops. And this time last year, I also launched an online course that people can, can work through in their own time. But I also get involved with quite a few of my clients with ongoing um, coaching. Fundamentally based around their, their own sales activities, but it also leads into more general business coaching as well. And and I love what I do. I love working with with small businesses. I love working with businesses who are service related. And and I'm sure we'll talk about this more later. But you know, one of the key challenges that that those types of businesses have is actually defining their real value proposition. It's it's a major issue, but it but it can be done.
0: Great. So how how do you go about working with people then? What's like the the process and how do you kind of help maximise their sales?
1: I mean, the, the first step in the process is purely and simply a really sort of quick exploratory call. So there's no sort of pressure on you. It's really just understanding, you know, what are the issues they're facing? What are they trying to achieve? What are they finding difficult? and then looking at, well, what's the most appropriate way to, to help them, whether that is through some sort of, you know, formalized training, or if it is purely just um, some some introductory sort of coaching work. And um, so that's the starting point. It's really just exploring what's important to them. And that's no different, really, to any sort of initial sales call that you would have with a potential client as well.
0: Uh, what's the kind of, what's the most um, common thing that you find people come to you with, like, right? I assume that people have a vast array of different problems um, that they want your advice on, your guidance on, to do with their sales. But um, is there is there anything that stands out to you that's like a common theme amongst whoever it is?
1: Yeah, there are, there are a number of common themes, to be honest. Um, but a lot of them actually boil down to one fundamental point, which is all around defining what their real value is. Um, The other ones that I come across regularly are things like how to handle objections or how to to get a sale over the line. And also very commonly is how to start interacting with potential customers. But the starting point for all of that really is actually defining your value proposition, because if you can articulate that in an effective way and then communicate that to potential customers, then you're more likely to get their interest into wanting to learn more. And that's when you move into, into the sales skills. And of course, with, you know, if you're selling a physical product, it's much, much easier to define the value proposition. If you're selling widgets, it has a function that it's designed to do. And whoever's looking to buy it knows what they need it for. So that's actually quite easy to do. But if you're selling something like services, which are very much intangible, it's actually quite difficult to measure the impact of what your service is going to do for your client. The second big issue that I see people struggling with is getting the client to understand what they really need. And to put that into context, if you, if you um, think about a typical service business, if you get some interest from a potential client, it's because they have recognized that there's something that they want help with. And they know what that is. It's clearly defined and it's a pretty fixed view that they're going to have. But there is a fundamental difference in many cases between what people know that they want and what they actually need. And where the real skill comes into into having these conversations is opening up the conversation to to find out what are the other things that your potential client might need that perhaps they haven't realised or perhaps they haven't made the connection between things that they need and how you might be able to help them. And that's where effective sales skills, effective questioning techniques really come into their own and help open up the conversation.
0: Yeah, I I, I wanna touch on on the kind of need and wants thing of of clients in a bit, um, because that, I know from my personal experience, that is something that is so common um, amongst basically any, more or less any client that uh, I work with or approaches me um, and I'm sure that other people in my industry videographers photographers that, that that type of profession have those similar experiences as well so I want to come back on that um but going back to the value proposition thing this is something that really interests me because I don't think it's something that is talked about enough when you're especially when you're first starting out um there's a lot of th- there's a lot of resources online about how to how to get clients and as a, as a videographer, as a photographer. Um, but they rarely talk about value proposition. It's all about attracting the interest in the first place, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to know why, why you think it is such a, a thing. Why is it so such a common problem that like, like you said, that people come to you, um, for, because, it seems like when you, you know, like when you explain it, when you actually kind of methodically think about it, that should be like ground zero. that should be point one that you sort out that, you know, that put your best foot forward, that kind of thing. Why is that such a common thing?
1: I, I think there's, there's two reasons for it. If you think about it from the client's perspective, it comes back to this, this shopping list of things they know they want, and they've not thought about the, the, the broader issues. But when you look at it from the supplier's perspective, most of us have set up our business because we are an expert in some particular field, whether it's videography, whether it's photography, whether it's creative writing or website design or whatever it may be. So we're good at what we do. And we almost assume that other people understand the value of that. But the reality is quite often very, very different. and if you think about somebody who's running a you know a marketing agency and they've got a client who wants to increase their web traffic, that's what they want. That's the shopping list.
0: Mm.
1: But what you've then then got to really start asking the client and asking yourself is, you know, why is that important? So increasing traffic to a website is all well and good. But ask yourself the question: so what? What does that mean to them? So does it actually mean that they want to increase their sales or they want to generate more revenue or generate more profit or maybe they want to increase their earnings or generate more cash to save for their pension? Or maybe it's something more fundamental that that what they're actually trying to do is to generate more cash so that they can take on extra staff and reduce their workload. Now, why do you start thinking about the way that your services can help your clients, the greater the value proposition that you have and that you can then start to promote. There's um, you know, I have followed lots of the sort of big American sales gurus, for want of a better description, for many, many years. And there's a there's one who's sadly no longer with us, who went by the fantastic name of Zig Ziglar. Now, I didn't agree with everything that he used to come out, but he did come out with some absolute gems. And one of my favorites was. He came up with this idea of stop selling and start helping because for a lot of people who don't come from a sales background the whole word the concept of selling you know it scares the living daylights out of them it's it's a foreign language they they don't understand how to do it but if you reframe your mind and think i'm not interested in, in selling anything when i'm talking to a client what i'm interested in is trying to help them overcome whatever issues they're facing you know help them achieve whatever objectives they're trying to achieve then the sale would t- will much more is much more likely to naturally follow on. And you also end up in a much more open and honest and trustworthy conversation with the client.
0: Yeah. Why but why why is it that people feel I don't know, I don't know how to phrase it really, feel like they're stepping on someone's toes, maybe when they're doing that, you know, like someone's a potential client's come to them. That's hypothetically, hypothetical situation, let's say, um, as a, as a videographer, as a freelance videographer, there's a, um, a client come to, come to me and says, right, well, we want this, 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 and this because of this. Whereas actually instinct, even, even instinctively, you kind of know that's what, what you want isn't going to achieve the results that you want to get, but maybe, Maybe it's because of a lack of experience in that situation or whatever it may be. It is quite common that people feel like they can't or don't feel comfortable enough to challenge that, to be like, well, I'm, I'm the expert, so to speak. And I know from experience, whatever it may be that actually what you need is X, Y, Z, not ABC, but they kind of go along with it anyway because they don't want to ruffle feathers or whatever it may, may be. Why, why is that?
1: I, I think it's it is, as you, as you've described, it's it's a nervousness about trying to change the direction of the conversation. And you're sitting there thinking, you've got this incoming inquiry, somebody is interested in what I do, and you're going to quite naturally focus on what they say they want. Um, But but the more you can open up the conversation into other areas that you think you might be able to help them with, the more likely you are to come up with a a much more valid and appropriate solution for them. One of the key things you can do is to actually ask for permission to explore other areas. And and in almost every case, if you actually say to a potential client, I appreciate that this this is what you're saying that you want, Are you happy for me just to ask a few more questions to see if there are other ways that we may be able to help you? Very, very few people are going to say no to that sort of question. Uh, And you've then got the permission to start opening up the conversation. If all you do is focus on what the client says that they, they know that they want. A, you're probably going to miss opportunities for providing much, much greater value but B, you're also limiting your ability to, to, to handle the competition because most of your competitors will be doing just the same as you. They're just mm-hmm. focusing on what the client says they want. And, and the value proposition that you provide is going to be unique to each and every client. So you know, don't, don't think that if you're a videographer that there is only one aspect that you're going to be able to, to help your client with there might be a whole myriad of things that you can help them address through providing a, a, a particular type of service. So the more you can open up these conversations, the more likely you are to find more opportunities to help, but also more opportunities to build a much, much greater value proposition than most of your competitors are going to be doing.
0: Yeah, so does it, does it just come down to, to coincidence? Is it, uh, Not coincidence, sorry, that's the wrong word, confidence. Is it, is it something that's just as simple as that to have confidence in your skills and your ability and to, to have that conversation with a potential client? Because when I've done that in the past, I've felt immediately that that bond, that level of trust with that client, whoever it may be goes up tenfold straight away, just because I've explored different situations with them, different, uh, things that we could do to potentially help. Is it is it as simple as, as confidence in, in that?
1: I, I think it's two things to be honest. Confidence is absolutely important. And confidence is something that you can develop and build and grow over time. But you can you can make a huge step to building the confidence if you understand the sort of basic techniques that you need and the sorts of process to follow that will help you keep control of the conversation. Um, and they're not necessarily difficult concepts to, to, to understand. And that's you know, a lot of what I do on things like my workshops and my training programs is introducing the sort of four or five key, key techniques that you can use. And it takes a little bit of practice and certainly some of them, the first couple of times you use them, it will feel really, really uncomfortable. But as you, as you, as you become more, more familiar with them, then definitely the confidence grows. Um, But a lot of it is, you're absolutely right, is that once you start having that type of conversation where you're opening it up and you're not just answering a set of questions that the client's got, then you start to build a much stronger relationship. Um, And it's a relationship that then then is built on trust. And you'd also more likely to get an emotional buy-in from the client. It's a bit of a cliche, but it's still very true, this idea that people buy from people. You know people will make purchasing decisions on two very distinct um, aspects, one is a functional decision, i.e., can this particular supplier provide me with what I need. But the second thing is an emotional aspect, so if they feel that they can trust you that they start to get confidence that you know what you're talking about. That they've getting confidence that you've been able to help other people in a similar way in the past then you'll increase the emotional buy into it. And that's hugely, hugely important.
0: Yeah. Um great. So what are the I we've kind of touched on it a little bit um anyway, but what are the kind of most common challenges that service businesses face when when they're trying to sell? Is it things that we've already covered or is there kind of a bit more to it? It's
1: fundamentally what we've covered, but the the key to it really is all around understanding what's important to the client. So, you know, that, that example I gave, you know, if you've got a marketing agency and they've had an inquiry from somebody who wants to increase traffic to the website, that's great. But keep asking yourself the question. So what? So what if I increase traffic to the website? What's that going to mean to the client? How is it going to help them in other aspects of their business life and their personal life? And the the business and personal life is also incredibly or can be incredibly important. So if you're able to, for example, if you're able to provide a service that um, frees up the client's time so that they're not having to spend um, hours and hours producing and editing their own videos, that in itself is hugely valuable because you're providing the service of delivering those videos. But ask yourself the question, so what? So for example, you know, is it gonna free up their time? And if it does free up their time, what could they do with that time that they've now got available to them? And maybe it means that they can, they, they can spend that time selling to more of their own customers so they can increase the revenue in other ways rather than just viewing you as a means of producing effective marketing content that might, might generate increased numbers of leads and inquiries. So the wider you, you break out this conversation, the more likely you are to find opportunities to provide real value to them over and above what you would assume is going to be the case when you start the conversation.
0: Yeah. It's funny that in it, because we always think like, well, we're gonna do this bit of, we're gonna provide this service. I'll keep using video just because it's my experience. But so I'm sure. gonna, I'm gonna produce this series of of videos, whatever it may be, and with the intention of let's let's take your example of driving more traffic to the website it's very rare that people they go like you said like but so what and it's like communicating that to the potential client if they've not already thought about that you know because yeah. a lot a lot of the time uh, it, i guess it depends on on who the client is and what level of business they're at but a lot of the times especially I would say, especially to like small to medium-sized businesses, uh, a lot of the time they go, well, they know they want um, some sort of video marketing and they've seen some of their competitors or their friends do it or they've been told that they should do it. And they've got a good idea for what would work for them. Obviously, they know their business, but very rarely they think of the, the result that it could give them that's beyond the initial result, if that makes sense. So, yeah, obviously um let's take a a standard promotional video that can be sent out to um social media to instagram obviously the main point of that is to get more eyes on it to get more eyes on the business to hopefully drive people to whatever it is their shop their website whatever rarely do you think well that that's gonna free up my time to stop trying to promote myself or um get more customers or whatever it might, might be. And actually it'll give me more time to, to improve my own service. And this is the client talking now, I can work on the, my, uh, side of the business and focus on customer experience and my, uh, service experience, whatever it might be. And the kind of marketing side is being taken care of from, by someone else.
1: That, that, I and mean, that's that's it exactly so if you were talking to me as a potential client for example i might come to you and, and as you say you know i've seen other people doing videos on their social media um, streams and or somebody's told me that video is the most effective way of generating incoming inquiries now i could i could spend some time creating my my own videos but I probably don't know what are the sorts of topics that I might want to cover in these videos that are going to have the greatest level of attraction. I probably don't know how to do effective editing or to you know, add subtitles. Now, I could spend hours Googling all of this stuff and finding out how to do it and looking for ideas. But if you were able to help me define you know, a set of half a dozen videos that you think would, would help me get greater greater um, numbers of incoming inquiries and you're going to save me the time I would I would spend having to edit these and adding in subtitles and then you know posting on my social media links well if that saves me you know three four hours well what else could I do with that three or four hours and this is where thinking about your client from their personal perspective as well as their business perspective also becomes really important so that three or four hours Maybe I could use it going to look for new customers. Maybe I could use it to um, develop other marketing plans. Maybe I could use it to focus on developing a new product or a new service. But maybe it means that I don't have to work into, late into the evening or at weekends. Maybe it means I can spend more time with my friends and my family so that I go home on a Friday night feeling far less stressed. And I'll come in on a Monday Monday morning feeling much more positive about the week ahead. So think about your clients both from what's going on in their business life, but also what's going on in their personal life. The more you can open up into these areas, the more likely you are to find opportunities to help them way beyond what you might think that you could do as a professional videographer. If you do that, if you start helping them in their personal life, then you're also get also going to build that emotional buying, and they will they'll think of you far more far high, uh, far more highly than pre than they previously would have done,
0: yeah, I find that so interesting though, because um I find I think people trying to stay away from personal life in in business in general. um and I know like we mentioned it, it is a bit of a cliche, but people do buy from people. it is a thing. Yeah. Um, And I found that especially reoccurring clients, it's the people that I've become quite pally with, quite matey with in some on some level. Um, And I know things about their personal life because we've developed a relationship over a period of time. But it's like that initial kind of contact with someone, especially, you know, like if it's like a service, isn't it? You know, like they're calling me because I do a certain thing and I'm going to try and provide that value to that person so do do people just like kind of get scared from delving into a personal kind of discussion you know like it's it, it can be quite easy kind of to be trapped into a very transactional a very business type conversation with uh, potential clients you know whereas actually should we just be a bit braver and and kind of explore different avenues like um, alleviating some of the stress in in your potential clients personal life
1: absolutely be brave uh, and i think you know as i said before the first one or two times you try it will feel really uncomfortable but i think you'll be pleasantly surprised the responses that you get you know the, the people buy from people cliche is still still very true today and the more that you demonstrate that you're genuinely interested in the client in all sorts of aspects of their business and their personal work, the more likely they are to feel more comfortable in your presence and they're more likely to open up about what's, what's going on. You know, if, if all you ever do is, is just talk to them about the specific business issue that they're, they're trying to address, you might well be able to provide them with a valuable service, but you're probably missing out on opportunities. And you're almost certainly missing out on an opportunity to, to differentiate yourself over the competition. You're probably not doing anything like the same thing.
0: Yeah. Cause I was going to that leads me quite nicely onto my next question, because I was going to ask like, you know, there's, we've, we've kind of learned all this information about how to, to put ourselves forward better to a potential client. Well, what, what can we do to differentiate ourselves from, uh, from our competitors, because especially in in the industry that I am that I'm in and the job profession that I do, there's loads of people. There's lots of competition. Um, at one point during lockdown, everyone was a photographer. <laughs> it seemed like anyway. Um, <laughs> so it can be quite daunting, can't it? That like, I and I've I've done it in the past. I've been guilty of it in the past, and I've seen something online, perhaps that um, someone's like wanting. A, like my service but I kind of think oh what's the point because there's going to be 30 other people uh messaging this person so it's just down to sheer probability and I can't be bothered with that kind of thing is I mean first yeah. of all first of all that's probably not the right attitude to to have but there's there's something within each person isn't there with each individual that is different from working with someone else so what can people do to differentiate themselves? Is it just something as simple as what we've just uh, touched on about building a more emotional connection with someone?
1: I think, I think that's probably the single biggest thing that you can do to differentiate yourself because most of your competitors won't do that because nobody's ever really suggested to them that, that it, this would be an effective um, way of working. But there are other things that you can do, and they're probably the fairly obvious ones. So the the first one is really just looking for aspects that you can offer your clients that others might struggle to provide. So there may be some sort of technical aspect to to your particular service that, that makes you slightly, maybe not unique, but slightly different to the majority. And the way to think about it would be, particularly if you've got experience of working in particular markets, or... You've helped clients in the past address particular problems that they're facing. Um, and, the, and the way to way to really promote those, those is, is primarily through things like case studies and testimonials. So one of the most important things that you should certainly try to do with your existing clients, particularly if you know that they're happy with the service that you provided, is to go back and ask them, say, would you be happy to work with me on a, on a little case study or a little testimonial? Some of them will say no, but unless you ask them, you're never going to know. But some of them will say yes, um, because two reasons. One is you're appealing to their ego that you're actually going to be showcasing what they do. And the other is potentially through showcasing what they do, you're giving them an extra bit of uh, free promotion for their own business as well. The other fundamental thing to remember is that when when we when you talk about marketing your services, you, you you may have come across this sort of concept of niching, so you know being being viewed as a specialist in one particular area, and certainly when you're developing your own marketing plans, I would always recommend that you try and focus your efforts around a particular niche. Now, that niche might be a particular vertical market that you work in, or it might be a niche that relates to particular problems that you help your clients uh, overcome, or it might be a niche that relates to you know, the type of client. Is it, you know, I do you focus maybe on one man bands or small to medium sized businesses, or do you focus on large enterprises? But the more you can really define your ideal target customer, whether that's because of the market they operate in, the size, the type of issues that they face, the more you can do that, the easier it becomes to then start to, to, to start to think of ways of promoting your services, because you can then start to talk directly to other people who are of a, of a similar category. Now, that doesn't mean to say that because you're niching your sort of marketing messages that you actually can't work with anybody else. You can. Um, but if you if you if you keep your marketing messages really tightly focused, aimed at a specific, you know, core set of ideal target clients, then it's more likely to be effective for you.
0: Yeah, because that's actually answered a question I was going to ask. Because um, it it can be it can be uh, come up against quite a lot of uh, backlash, quite a lot of friction when people suggest niching, because it's like, well, I'm kind of leaving a lot of clients on the table there if I only focus in one thing a lot of the time I think it's down to um, people kind of maybe not understanding what what niching is what what picking a niche is what you know like I'm quite glad that you've said that it could be several different things it's not just like um, I only work with gyms I only produce video content for gyms it could be like you know, like like you said, different uh, size businesses or a specific problem that you uh, solve for them. I just wonder whether there's not enough. Um, I don't want to say enough education because sometimes I think it's it is on the on people themselves to to kind of work that out. Like they know uh, their service the best. They know their business. They they know what they can provide to clients that potential other people might might not. But When people say, oh, you should, you should focus on a knit, on a one niche, honestly, especially in videography and in my, in photography, it's met with a lot of uh, friction. But, but, but the, but the success, but when people do that and they, and they see the success of doing that, that isn't, I don't think that's talked about enough compared to people go, I can't do that because I I need all the clients i can get pretty much and they come from a a variety of and some people even say like i like the variety of people that i work with Mm -hmm. but but potentially they could still be niching but still work with that variety of clients
1: absolutely and that's why i say there's there's a there's a key difference to draw here between niching your marketing and niching the business so if you take your example let's say you're you're a, a photographer and you've decided that for marketing purposes, you're going to focus on gym owners. So what you then need to start thinking about is, well, what are the problems that a gym owner might have that I might be able to help them with? And it's going to be things like attracting new clients, but it might be saving them time doing creative work that they're really not comfortable doing. And what could they do with that, that time? So if you then start doing Instagram posts or you know LinkedIn or Facebook articles around how you can help gym owners attract more clients or save time that they can use for more productive activities well what's going to happen if um i don't know a local garage owner sees your post and they think actually we could do with some more clients as well and actually if i could save some more time I could spend more time uh, going to talk to new customers or or working on additional marketing functions, so the the fact that you're niching your marketing actually doesn't preclude you from attracting other clients. The the key thing with your marketing messages is to focus on the typical types of problems that you think your ideal client might be facing and how you can help them address them. And even though your, your message appears to be targeted purely at, in this case, gym owners, you'll be pleasantly surprised, I, I would expect, how many other industry types might actually read those posts and, and, and recognize uh, the, the sort of the similar issues that they're seeing in their own business. And that's how you start to generate inquiries from other areas. And the sheer fact that you're niching your marketing message does not stop you from working with other types of clients at all.
0: Yeah. One thing I want to I kind of touch on that we mentioned before is um, a lot of people get into service-based businesses uh, because, like you said, they're an expert. It's like passion. Um, I, you know, it, it could have been a hobby that they turned into a business, but not necessarily sales-focused people which is yeah. ironic since a lot of people start businesses. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the advice that we get given across, you know, a plethora of different mediums, whether it's YouTube articles, whatever it is. Um, and, and people have been kind of feel quite uh, enthused to, to go out and, and implement all this advice that they've been given straight away. And, you know, obviously because it's their business and it's their passion, it's like, Really energetic, really enthusiastic, but because we're not salespeople, we might not know necessarily how to act in those situations, and we can kind of come across as a bit uh, pushy, maybe because we're so yeah. desperate for we're so desperate for the work um, and and to show off to show off our skills, essentially to show off our work, um, which is again which is ironic because we've all been to uh, forecourt. Cart- forecourts uh, uh uh car sales um garages and no one likes like no one likes a bushy salesman um, Absolutely. but it can be quite easy to fall into that especially if like you know you it could be that you're quite uh desperate for the work at that particular time whatever it might be what's the best way to to not come across like that <laughs> essentially okay well
1: the, the first step is to recognize that as you rightly say, nobody likes a pushy salesperson. And I think that there's a, there's a real common misconception that to be successful in selling, you've really got to have the gift of the gap. The reality is that, you know, that couldn't be further from the truth. And the key thing is you've got to start by building a relationship with your, your client or your potential client. You've got to demonstrate interest in them, what's happening in their world, both their personal world as well as their business world then you need to start exploring where they might be facing the challenges and not just the issues related to to your specific service, as we said earlier on. And and the reason that works is that that if all you do is is meet with a new client and then dive into into your standard sales pitch that talks about the type of work you do and how wonderful you are, how experienced you are, the type of clients you work with, it's all about you. And what you actually want them to make the conversation about is all about the client. So the last thing you should do is dive into a sales pitch because it will put no end of people off. And this this is probably one of the most, most important skills that you can learn is understanding how to open up that conversation. But the interesting thing is that the more you thought in advance about the types of problems that your typical client might be facing and how you might be able to help them address them that then actually gives you the perfect content to be able to develop a a set of what we call qualification questions so really open-ended questions that you can start the conversation off with that encourages the client to talk about their business about what what the issues are that they're facing and then you know what the problems are that you need to address so that when you do start talking about your particular service, you're only talking about it in relation to the issues that you already know are important to the client. Yeah. So the fact that, you know, the fact that you, let, let's, let's say that you've got, you've got clients in the UK and in the States and in Australia. Now to me as a potential client, I may not care a damn if you're working with people in the States or in Australia, but if I know that you've been able to help sales trainers and business coaches like me get greater coverage and get greater client attraction through through the services that you provide, that's probably going to be more interesting. So that's what you should be talking to me about. So the, the focus has to be all about the client to start with. Understand what's happening in their world. And don't fall into that trap of diving into into a standard sales pitch because it will put people off.
0: Yeah, that is something that's quite hard to do, isn't it? Especially if it's like a, a fresh business, if it's something that you just started, um, because you're so enthused by it that it's like it's really hard to kind of not just talk about yourself for ages. Yeah, and like you said, like but it but that that happens in any sort of conversation that you have. With anyone, whether it's business related or not. Like, how many times would you, I don't know, meet up with friends or with, um, or, or on a date, for example? That's this is a good example. On a, on a, it's first, a
1: really good example. <laughs>
0: on, a, on a first date and for, I don't know, two hours, talk about yourself nonstop and not ask any questions about the other person, yeah. not, not get to know them. You don't know anything about them at the end of the night, but they know a lot about you. That's that's a lot, isn't it? That's quite intense.
1: <laughs> it, it's really intense, and I can guarantee you won't get the second date. And <laughs> and you know, business conversations are no different. There's a, the technique I, I teach. I always tell people, you know, as you, as you're talking to a potential client, just ask yourself constantly, why am I talking? And if it's because you're really enthusiastic about your product and you want to give them lots of information, stop. Take a deep breath and think. If you're talking because you're asking a question to encourage them to open up more about what's what's going on in their world. Or if you're responding to a question that they've asked you about your services, that's good. Just avoid diving into the sales pitch. And and the date analogy is is, is an absolute perfect one. You're right. You know, if you spent two hours talking about yourself on the first day, you will never get
0: that second date.
1: And it's no different in business.
0: Yeah. And it's making that connection, isn't it? Between... Mm uh skills that you've learned in your personal life and and bringing that across which is something that you should do and and, and a a lot of people forget to do
1: they do and I think there's two reasons for it one is because they're really enthusiastic about what they do and they're excited about the opportunities that, that they've got talking to a potential new client but the other thing I think is the lack of understanding of the sort of techniques the process that you can go through to give you a bit of structure to the conversation. And that, that's a lot of what I cover on, on, on my, my training programmes, is giving you a sort of four-step approach that al- allows you to move the conversation forward in a structured way and to understand where you are in that process so that if you need to loop back and again, start again, you can do without losing control of the situation. Um, and the other, the other thing with all of this stuff, you know, it, it takes time to learn it. And it takes time to develop your own your own skills and your own techniques. Um, and, it, you know, I, I, I can give everybody a, a fairly standard process, but I'll guarantee that after three or four months of using them, they'll have tweaked it, they'll have adapted it, they would have used their own sort of wording, they'll, they'll have developed their own questions that they, that they like to, to use because they found that those work. And, and selling ultimately becomes a very sort of personal approach that, that you adapt and uh, make your own
0: yeah um if you indulge me for a second let's say in a in a in a conversation we've we've done this bit we've kind of laid the groundwork um and, and we and we're doing all the things that we've discussed and the, and it's going well this this first meeting with a potential client's going well and they've got to the point where they're wanting you to demonstrate a return a demonstrate sorry a return on investment for using our services because you know, we, we like to talk about the things that we can provide, but what's like the results? But what advice would you have for defining that?
1: Okay, it, it, it will come back to what we've already covered. But, but I w- what I would say is that in a service environment, it's actually quite difficult, not least because there may not be a direct and easily measurable correlation between what you offer, and the results that are generated. So, you know, if you're designing a new brand and logo for a client, can you actually measure the impact that has on sales? And on top of that, it may well be that the client is doing a whole number of other things, all of which might have an impact on their sales levels, either individually or collectively. So it can be really difficult to to measure the the true return on investment, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try and do it. So my advice would always be, to, to try and look for a variety of areas within the business where your work could have an impact. So you know, we talked earlier about that example of a client wanting to increase their web traffic. Well, what you should also start to look at is the wider impact that, that what you're doing could be having on their sales or the profit or their earnings or the cash they've got available to, to, to use for further investment. So don't just focus on measuring the, the short-term change in website traffic. Review the other aspects as well, and the more you can identify how we've helped them in a variety of ways, even though each of those individual ways might be fairly minor, the the um, the sort of collective impact is likely to be much larger, and the greater the value that will be that the client will attribute to to the services that you're providing.
0: Okay, so that's we've we've done that bit of this of this hypothetical conversation. Um, you've explained the return on investment and the client's like happy with that. Great. Sounds, sounds amazing. Then it comes down to the pricing. It comes down to that, that chat that not a lot of people want to have, but I've certainly learned the quicker you can have that. And the more comfortable you are with, with talking about money, the easier it is. And actually it's not as scary as you think. And a lot of the time, the other person, respect you a bit more because they see you more as a, as a business peer then because you're not afraid to talk about money. Yeah. What, you know, a lot of the times there are objections to pricing. I think that's quite a common thing. What's the yeah. best way to respond to that though, as a, <laughs> as a service yeah. provider, because you've, you've priced your service at, most of the time, a lot of people overprice, but most of the time you've priced your service at a, a a rate that you think is fair and at a rate that you know will get a return on investment if if someone pays for that Um, because you know your quality and the level of your work and what it will do for for someone's business business is business though and a lot of people potential clients will go oh well we were thinking it was going to be this amount and you've quoted us 10 times that what's the best way to respond to that
1: Okay, I'm, I'm going to answer that in two, in two ways, Colin. The first thing I wanted to say is, and, and I'm glad you mentioned this earlier, was saying that you know you need to have the price discussion earlier on. If at all possible, avoid leaving the meeting with the client not having discussed the price. Because if you say to them, okay, I'll get back to you with a proposal and then send that 24 hours later, a couple of days later, it's giving the client more time to think and potentially talk to other people. And it makes it harder for you to respond and address any objections that they may may have. So if at all possible, try and have the price conversation with them there and then. Now, the price objection is by far and away the most common objection that anybody in sales and in business ever comes across. And And it's really easy to assume that price is the only deciding factor. But if you do, it's a bit of a slippery slope and it typically leads to price wars that really won't help you so so be prepared to to defend the price that you've quoted and if you genuinely feel that it's a fair representation of the time and effort that you're going to be putting into this it's a fair reflection of the experience that you're bringing to the project the years of work that you put into building up your your skill set then don't be afraid to defend it and If the client is solely focused on price, then it probably means they don't fully recognise the full value of what you're offering. And with any objection that you're faced with, first and foremost, don't argue. You might be hugely insulted that a client is questioning the prices that you have just quoted to them, but you can't afford to show that. So the the starting point with any objection and especially pricing objections is just acknowledging that they think they have a a genuine reason why they're not not prepared to proceed with the work at this stage, but then question what they mean. And that might seem seem a little bit odd if they just said something like, oh, you're too expensive. But but think about, about it this way. The statement you're too expensive could actually mean a couple of things. It could mean, they feel that you're not providing value for money or it could mean that they've had a quote from somebody else else that's lower or it could mean that they don't think they've actually got the cash available right now to to go ahead with this particular project so you, you need to make sure that you question exactly what they mean by whatever the objection is that they've raised and once you once you've got clarification of that then demonstrate that you understand their objection by paraphrasing it so repeat it back to them so okay you know i understand that you feel that the, that the price is too high um, and that you've had a competitive quote from elsewhere which is you know 10 percent lower once you've demonstrated that you understand the objection that's the point that you can then start to address it and you address it by going back to all of the aspects that you clarified earlier where you can focus on the full value that you're delivering so you know we've already explained that but by, by working with us and We're going to be helping you create this set of six professionally presented and produced and and edited videos. They'll be fully subtitled. We're going to give you guidance on how to use them, where to post them. uh, And off the back of that, we're expecting you to to get an increase in website traffic, traffic of 10 percent, whatever it may be, which could potentially result in three new clients over the next two months, which is likely to generate an extra £20,000 worth of revenue. Now, our fee for this, this work is only £2,000. So £20,000 return on investment versus a £20,000 investment in the first place. How does that sound? So you're, you're reinforcing the value that you're, that you're providing. And the other thing with pricing is that if you, if you pitch your price before you've explained the full value that you're going to deliver, then all the the only thing the client will focus on is the price. That's the only thing they've got to compare you with somebody else. If you position your full value first and then position your price, then the price becomes an investment that is then going to generate a return for them. If you still can't get them to move, they still feel that the price is too high for whatever reason, there's a lovely question you can ask that, that will help clarify whether or not they're actually a genuine prospect here. And that's to say to them, look, price aside, is there any other reason why you wouldn't be prepared to go ahead with us today? And if they say no, then you know that you can you can address the pricing issue itself. Now, please, please don't start to discount your price. Respect and value your services and be prepared to defend them. But if you feel that the actual cost that the client needs to pay is still too high for them for whatever reason, then then consider perhaps things like reducing the scope of the project. So instead of offering them six videos, maybe we'll do five videos, which allows you to bring down the the overall cost of the project, but is still recognizing the value of of the work that's going into them. If, if their issue is around you know, the their affordability, yeah, they, do they have the cash available? Then maybe you could look at doing things like you know, uh, 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 spreading the payments, offering them some sort of extended payment plan. But whatever you do, avoid just starting to get into a discounting routine because as I said, it's a slippery slope. Uh, and all you're doing is effectively saying to the client, well, actually the price I gave you earlier on was probably a bit too high. And I was just trying it on, so I'm actually prepared to do the work for less money. So don't do that because it will undermine the relationship that you have <laughs> spent so much time trying to build up.
0: Yeah, I think if there's one one thing that people should take away from that, it's that because I know that is so common. I, I, I imagine among many service-based uh, businesses, but definitely the one that I'm in, it's it is like a common thing that. But and then, and, but then the, obviously the con- the consequences of that. Is that you're doing this, you're providing the service at a lower cost, so you can't provide the real value that you would be able to. Whether that's because you can't invest as much time in it, um, or uh, utilizing other people to help you with the project, or you know, or or like the scope, you can't literally produce the amount of work that you would normally, so therefore, it's not going to get the results it would normally. So, weirdly, the by the client. Not paying the the rate that you think it's worth, they're getting a less service for it anyway. They're they're yeah. better off investing upfront in the in the real price.
1: And and don't be afraid, as I said, to defend your pricing strategy with clients and say to them, "Look, I absolutely understand that you're you were expecting a lower price or that you've had a lower price elsewhere. I know how much effort and time and expertise we need to put into this to deliver the results that you want." And we and I wouldn't be prepared to to work with you on something that I just don't genuinely feel is going to give you what you need. Uh, and if if you're prepared to to stand your ground on that, you know not everybody, not every client will agree to it, but some will, and they'll mm-hmm. they'll reset their expectations and they'll be prepared to pay more than they thought they were going to. Um, but you'll go up hugely in their estimation. Because you'll come across as being someone who is genuinely concerned about delivering a high quality service to them. The other thing I was going to say about, about pricing objections as well is be careful when you're talking to a new client that if you think about how people buy anything nowadays, when I started my career, it was fundamentally different. But these days, before anybody reaches out to a potential supplier, you can guarantee they're going to Google it and they're going to look for know videographers in the local area and they're probably going to be speaking to it to quite a few now when you first start talking to them this is what's so so important to really get a a stronger understanding of what's important to them their needs as well as their wants because that helps you build up your, your value proposition the risk is, if you don't do that, you end up in almost like a box ticking exercise where the client is talking to half a dozen different suppliers. They've got this checklist of things that they've decided that they want, and they're just ticking them off against each supplier and then saying, well, OK, have they ticked all the boxes? If so, what's the price? I'll go for the cheapest. You want to avoid those sorts of those sorts of conversations. and If you feel that's what the client is doing and that they're not prepared to open up conversation into other areas don't be afraid to walk away because you're probably wasting your time Mm. I used to used to do a lot a lot of work well I still do a lot of work with software companies and in the days when I was working for big software companies big software companies we used to have this this concept of uh, avoiding being what we call column fodder where if you got an inquiry from a potential customer if they'd already been talking to one potential vendor you you could almost guarantee that that vendor had helped them develop that checklist of things that they were looking for and if the vendor's being smart they'll develop a checklist of things that they know they're the only people that they that can provide all of them so, right. so if, if you think feel that you're getting into one of those sorts of conversations don't be afraid to walk away because because if you, if you don't you could end up wasting hours and hours of time coming up with hugely detailed proposals and investing hours of time into preparing this stuff with no real real likelihood that you're going to win the business.
0: Yeah, cause literally one of the questions, the next question I was going to ask is, should people walk away when they don't think it's right? Now, obviously, you've, you've already answered that. Yes, if you feel like it's not working. But a lot of the trap that a lot of people do fall into is that they don't want to walk away, and they want the business, and they'll try and do anything that they can to to get that yeah. business, whether it's discounting or providing less of a service to, or what you know, whatever it is, saying yes to everything that the client wants, uh, but knowing that really they can't afford to do that. Yeah, what, and the, the, know,
1: the other thing, the other thing to look out for is: Do you feel this is somebody that you can work with, who is going to? respect and acknowledge your experience and skill and be prepared to be guided by you as an expert in your field you know it's really really easy in the very early days of setting up a business and we've all done it i've done it (laughs) That you're just desperate for any sale you want the revenue you need the cash so you'll take on any sort of work now Mm. I I would never be so blunt as to say to you, never do that, because in the really early days, yeah, you need to generate some cash. But once you start to get a little bit of momentum going, please, please don't be afraid to walk away if you don't feel that this is a good proposition for you, because you will waste a huge amount of time and effort and, and also increase your stress levels hugely if you've got the client from hell. And And we've all had them, you know. <laughs> that's yeah you know the client who is constantly demanding extra and expecting you to do it as part of the package you've got to keep control of that conversation so if you don't feel that they're going to be a good good client to work with don't be afraid to walk away because you'll you'll thank yourself later
0: yeah and it's having that it's having that foresight isn't it to to do that i've got one final question for you phil sure how how can creatives continue um on a, on a positive path, maybe they've built up that momentum where they're in a position where they can potentially walk away from, from some uh, jobs, from some projects. How can, how can they continue on that path and develop, develop a client base that is reliable and can be you know, uh, fruitful for them long-term?
1: I, I think there are, there are a number of things I'd, I'd suggest, Cal. I mean, first and foremost is continue to develop your sales skills. You know whether that's through done, doing some sort of formal training or just continuously reviewing how you're operating in these in these sales calls in these sales meetings to try and work out you know what worked particularly well or what didn't work. Um, reflect on your results as well. You know why did you win a particular project or why did why do you think you might have lost it. And if you've lost a project, don't be afraid to go back to the client and say, look, it would really, really help me to understand if there's something I could have done better. I appreciate you've made a decision. I'm not going to try and make you change it. But could you perhaps give me any sort of feedback as to as to why you chose somebody else? Because that sort of information is invaluable in helping you change how you operate with, with with future prospects. So look at how you, you know, how you've conducted the process and all the things that you could do to to make it better. And the other thing I would also say is, is track your results to understand how well you're doing and where you could make improvements. So one of the things I, I introduce to all of my sales coaching clients is I give them a simple template that they can use to track their activity and their results and their sort of conversion rates between new inquiries through to finding opportunities, proposals and leads and so on. And it, it sounds like a little bit of overkill, but but in fact, it's incredibly valuable information because over time you get two benefits from it. One is you start to see trends of where perhaps your conversion rate from inquiry to an opportunity seems a bit high, or maybe it's getting it's, it's getting worse over time. So that gets you to start to think about what could you do differently. But the other thing it also helps you to do is it gets you in a position where you can actually start to build your own activity plan so you know on a weekly basis how many of these sort of initial outreach calls or emails you need to send in order to generate the end results that you want by the end of the of the current financial year on an ongoing basis you know maybe even consider working working with a sales coach somebody who can look at what you're doing and give you an independent view as to things that perhaps you can improve on or, or things that you might want to new techniques that you might want to introduce but above all above all anything else keep in contact with your existing clients you know if they were purchased from you and they're happy with the project that you've delivered they're happy because you've done a good job for them they're happy because They've recognized that you're interested in them and their business. They've recognized that you're somebody to be trusted and potentially could work with again. Now, they might not have another project for another 12 months or another two years, but just just, um, keep in touch with them periodically every, every couple of months or so just to see how things are going. Don't enter into a sales pitch. You're just demonstrating that you're interested in what's going on in their world. Because the more you stay in front of them, uh, that you're, you, you you remain front of mind, the more likely they are to remember that good job that you did for them last time. The more likely they are to come back to you again, and the more likely they are to recommend you to somebody else as well. And don't be, don't be afraid to ask for referrals. So if you've done a good job and you know your client is happy with what you've delivered, ask them if they know of anybody else who you think you might be able to help. Again, they might might say no. But you, but you won't get any referrals if you don't ask the question. So don't be afraid to go back to to happy clients and ask if they know of anybody else you might be able to work with.
0: Yeah, it's it's just reminded me of something my nanny used to say that it was like, you won't get if you don't ask. Yeah, pretty much, it's pretty much like that, isn't it? And it also is. the other the other thing that uh, crossed my mind then is to not do it all on your own. Like you said, you know, like if you think you are potentially might struggle with sales or benefit from working with someone like yourself then that's that's a good investment to make isn't it you know like a lot of the time we kind of get into that this tunnel vision of like we have to do it ourselves else it's some sort of I don't know failure or whatever but actually reaching out to people like yourself is a is good isn't it that's a it's a good thing to be doing it, it is.
1: And, it, and again, you know, if, if anybody wants to do that, I'm obviously more than happy to, to, to have a sort of exploratory discussion with them. But, but if you think about in terms of the value that I deliver, you know, my value is not the sales training or the sales coaching. The value that I deliver is helping big people become more effective at selling. So they win more of the opportunities that they come across and they sell more often and they spend less time. Um, trying to find new clients. They spend less time in individual um, uh, sales, sell, sales cycles, sales processes. That's how you need to think of your own business. What's the wider benefits that you're delivering to your clients? Because that's your real value proposition.
0: Great. And anyone who's listening, how do they get in contact with you if it is something that they're interested in, in pursuing?
1: The the obvious place to start is the website, uh, it's www.protensd, that's P-R-O-T-E-N-S-D, protensd.co.uk. Um, and all my contact details are on there or if you want to connect with me on, on LinkedIn, I'm very active on LinkedIn um, and, and I post regularly about all things sort of sales and business related so if you want to follow my post, you know, please connect with me on LinkedIn. But if anybody really just genuinely wants to explore some of the issues that they're facing, just get in touch uh, and let's have an initial call. As I said before, it won't turn into a sales pitch. It'll be all about you and i will explore whether or not I think I can help you. And if I don't think I can, I
0: will be open and honest and upfront and tell you so. So, you know, don't be afraid to get in touch. Great. Phil, it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Uh, Thank you again for taking time out of of your day, out of your busy schedule. Uh, to to come on and do this, because I think that would have been really helpful for a lot of, uh, especially freelance creative people. Um, So thanks for coming on. That was the Creative Block podcast.